Welcome to Legally Uncensored. I am your host, Demetria Graves, a licensed family law attorney in the state of California. On this show, we will continue to break down the hard family law topics, and I intend to be as uncensored as possible. We are providing gems to be proactive and reactive when dealing with love and sometimes war. So whether you are divorced, in the midst of a divorce, single, married, or a serial dater, we are here to help. Now, as we have learned throughout this season, divorce not only has an impact on the couple, but sometimes and oftentimes we ignore the impact it has on children. We want to take a moment to dive into what children may experience with high conflict parents and high conflict divorces. In an earlier episode I did, Our Children Are Watching, we discussed divorce from a children's voice. And what I learned more than anything is children hate being in the middle of any conflict, let alone the divorce of their parents. I have the privilege of having my friend and guest, Lakeisha Adendani Dorsey, who is the principal attorney at her own firm. She is seeking justice on behalf of families by representing parents in a CPS investigation and a juvenile children's court. She is also an organizer at the Black Mothers March on the White House, which is a coalition of Black-led organizations that have been involved in the struggle to rescue children from the custody of the state. So yay, thank you, Keisha, for being here. Um, You're doing really great work. For one, it is very, very difficult and challenging to represent parents in the private sector, as you know, and in this space. But more importantly, and I want to talk more about what you're doing with your Mother's March. I'm very interested in that. But before we get to that, please share with us a little bit more about yourself and what you're doing and what brought you to have your own firm and to work in this space. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast, Demetria. You're someone who I've looked up to since I've been in law school. And so we talk about just pioneers and examples of people who are liberating themselves in the way that you have in terms of having your own business, starting your own law firm. You've always been someone that I've looked up to. So for me, so the work that I do specifically now is I represent parents in CPS cases, whether that's in the investigation phase of a CPS case or through the, you know, we call it the trial, right, of the CPS case, the the full scope of it. I also do civil rights litigation. So I sue CPS agencies such as the Department of Children and Family Services when we have, you know, children, for example, who've been abused while they were in the foster mm-hmm. system, or if we have families that are lawfully separated or DCFS has violated some other type of obligation that they have to our parents and to our, our children, so to our families. And so the way that I came to this work, I guess I should start off by saying, and it's something that I'm practicing doing because it was for a while something that I wasn't necessarily willing or felt safe to share with folks in the legal communities in particular, is I have personal lived experience Mm -hmm. in the system. So I grew up in the system pretty much my Mm -hmm. whole life, specifically in Los Angeles County, which has the largest local foster system in the whole country. 
And so that work for me, I think really, I guess, deciding to want to practice in this particular mm-hmm. area. And you are doing a great job, by the way. So that's why I was like, I Thank have you. to have her on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank and you. we both know children and family services is extremely serious. It, there mm-hmm. is a space for it. But, and we will talk about this along the way. Unfortunately, it's also used as a tool in divorce proceedings. And mm-hmm. so before we even get that to that point, I want you to talk about what is DCFS? What is it supposed to do? Why do we even <laughs> have it? Again, I'm going to be, we all have an uncensored conversation. Yeah. Let's have an uncensored Girl, don't get me in trouble. Don't get me in trouble. So, <laughs> so first off, I'll, I'll answer the first question, which is what is DCFS? So DCFS stands for the Department of Children and Family Services. As I stated earlier, it is the largest local foster system in the country. And it is, you know, based in Los Angeles County. And I'll say what DCFS purports to do as opposed to what I believe it was designed to do. Um, And hopefully that won't get you in too much trouble. But what it purports to do, right, is to protect children from being abused or neglected by their parents, right? It's supposed to be a safe haven for children, for them to get therapeutic services if they need therapeutic services. It's supposed to be a space where if families are in need, right, families that are in crisis are in need of support, it's supposed to be a space where those families can get those supports. It purports to be a collaborative space. It purports to be a non-adversarial space, Mm. right? But unfortunately, the way that it actually plays out in practice, that is not what's occurring, right? We don't have to like take like, I guess sometimes I'm like, it's not my, you know, jaded view of the system. (laughs) Um, It's more so, you know, the the national data statistics, Mm -hmm. right, of the outcomes of children who experience the system, Mm -hmm. right? The national data on how our children are Mm overmedicated in the system, the national data of how our children's educational, you know, our our progress through our educational system is disrupted, Right. Right. How our family integrity is not respected and right. honored, right? Mm. And like I said earlier, you know, the sea of black and brown faces in this space and black and brown people are not more, parents are not more inclined to to abuse their right. children, right? I, I don't, <laughs> understanding and knowing the history of the system, I never say what it, that the system is designed to do good because it, it, if we look at the history, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I have concerns because I watched the Netflix special with the young man, the Fernandez family, and I was mm-hmm. quite disturbed. And we don't have to go down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. but it's interesting mm-hmm. to me to that extreme. And they were called out several times and the young man lost his life to the hands of his mother and her boyfriend. But then on the flip side of that, you have people in the divorce setting intentionally <laughs> attempting to mm-hmm. use this mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. as a leg up and not realizing it mm-hmm. has some serious, serious impact on your mm-hmm. family, one. And two, the system doing what it's supposed to do or not is already overburdened clearly 
by what mm-hmm. even comes into their their doors, if you may. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there are so many holes that have not been filled. And from what I've seen, even since that special and that unfortunate circumstance, not much has changed, which mm-hmm. is concerning, especially being mm-hmm. in Los Angeles mm-hmm. County. So for mm-hmm. those who don't know, how does DCFS even get involved in a family? How is one reported? How do they even get on the radar for the process to begin? So I want to first, if I can, address, you know, the situation with Gabriel Fernandez. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that case is, you know, really, really, you know, sad and very just, mm-hmm. you know, just traumatizing mm-hmm. what happened to him and, and to his family. I think that that's an example, though, of why we need the system to be abolished and we need to reimagine something better because our system is failing our yes. children, right? And Gabriel was another child that was failed by the system. Mm-hmm. I'm always saying like, why would we give someone who has like a literally like an F grade, right? <laughs> Letter grade. Why would we continue to fund, give billions of dollars, right? When we are unable to protect the children that we're claiming to protect, right. right? I I would argue that Gabriel Fernandez wouldn't happen if we were not dealing with, right, all of these cases that we shouldn't mm-hmm. be dealing with. Mm-hmm. If we were not so fixed, sated on surveilling and policing black and brown families, black and brown bodies, that we wouldn't we would have, you know, folks who could actually address Right. When those calls were made, they could have actually protected Gabriel. Well, that's what the issue I have in the divorce space. Like once you learn that Mm -hmm. a family is engaged in a divorce and Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. severe Mm -hmm. (laughs) allegations, it it just my it's mind boggling to me that you even go down that rabbit hole, because if you know they're in that space, that's why we have family Mm -hmm. court. So now you're doing mm-hmm. an investigation and closing the case. So now we're in family court litigating the same issues that you were called to investigate, I guess. So to me, right, there right. there seems to be some disconnect just with the family court in DCFS. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think if you kind of got rid of the, the non-serious divorce cases, if you may, the issues that can actually mm-hmm. be dealt with in family court, that's going to clear up a lot of, you right. know, not a lot of space, I should say. But that kind of clears those cases, if you may, because sometimes Mm -hmm. our cases are postponed six months to a year because we're waiting on DCFS to decide what they're going to do Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we can't really move and we're going to talk about it. But it's just interesting to me, even with that, why has that gap not been filled between DCFS and family court? You know, some process to say if the parties are in a divorce, let's do some type of triads to decide if this goes to family court or is this part of our our wheelhouse if you may right you're talking about the dcfs wheelhouse. yes because most of the 90 percent of them are not right so those are let me just say (laughs) i absolutely hate family law (laughs) i hate it And we do get those cases, right, that originated either in family law court or it's family law Mm -hmm. issues. And it's another parent using, you know, the CPS system, right, as a Mm -hmm. weapon, like weaponizing that against the other parent. And 
listen, I used to, so when I first started practicing, I actually was in front of a judge who was a family law judge before she was a juvenile dependency judge. And whenever I had a case that was a family law case, I literally could say to her, your honor, I'm asking for this case to be sent to the right court, (laughs) the family law court. Right. And she would send that case right right on over. And she would tell the parents, if you continue to use the system, then I will take your children from both of you, mm. right? So she she was like very, she'd be like, give them right. a talk, right? And when I have cases that slip through the cracks, mm-hmm. right? I actually have a parent mm-hmm. right now, listen. And I'm like, <laughs> note to self, one of the things I'm learning in my first year of private mm-hmm. practice is I get to choose my clients yes, you now. Do. And I ain't taking no more clients. I have family law <laughs> issues. No, no, no. But I have one right now still. And it's a family law case and it's, there's, it's not mental health. Mm-mm. There's no substance use disorder. There's no, you know, abuse, allegations of abuse. There's no allegations that this person suffers from substance use disorder Mm-mm. and, right, is unable to parent nope. their children. It's simply that these parents cannot get yep. along. And as a consequence, their child, right, has suffered, suffered emotionally. And I can't get my client t- to understand because that. most parents aren't thinking about <laughs> the children and that has been like a pet project of mine to like shake mm-hmm. parents through my platform <laughs> to understand like you might be okay with going back and forth with the other parent but yeah. the trauma you are placing on the shoulders of your children is unacceptable right 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 and it's I, I I don't know if this is something that you share with your clients to meet you, but something I share with mine, it's just when you have, and I always use family law as an example, <laughs> every one of us is made up of two individuals, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so when you tell a child, you try to alienate another parent against, you know, a child, you talk negatively about that child's, you know, parent mm-hmm. to them. They're no good. They're you know, all of their negative traits, you say, oh, it's, you got that from your daddy or you got that from your mama or right. that child is internalizing that. And it is, it is traumatic because it is that you're mm-hmm. essentially saying that your child is all of those right. things. Right. And so I, I refuse. I'm like, I'm not the attorney mm-hmm. that's going to play right. those games. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not, I'm, she's not, this is, she mm-hmm. is not it. Right. And so, yeah, I, Completely agree with you. And I, I wish like, yeah, we need to figure out a way to like get people to be like, listen, y'all can fight about whatever but not, you want to But not about, over there. Right? You really. But not over there. Right. You need to bring your butts right back to family right. court. But I do want to talk about because I don't practice in children's court. So <laughs> right. when my clients are like, oh, my God, I got a card on the door. Like, how mm. are people, how do people get on the radar? Right. So most investigations are actually reported by medical professionals, teachers, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are your top three. And usually it's because those space, like those are considered mandatory, mandated mm-hmm. reporters. If they don't know how to deal with whatever it is that they're, you know, right. faced with, then they just, the default is to call you know, CPS right. agency, mm-hmm. right? And LA DCFS. Right. And so that's typically how it happens. Another reason why I'm in this particular mm-hmm. area of the mm-hmm. law, as you know, like just like with medical mm-hmm. doctors, right? Like 
there's tears too, the prestige or whatever, right? right? So when I was leaving like federal, doing federal criminal work, people were like, why would you leave that and go be in children's court, (laughs) right? (laughs) And for me, it has a lot to do with just this, the disregard that I see of like due process in this case, right? So like in investigations, Mm -hmm. parents oftentimes are not represented by counsel. And the social worker at that time is gathering all of the information that they need to file their case. Right. Before we get there, so people under kind of mm-hmm. understand yeah. where we're yeah. going. Right. So someone makes the referral. And I before right. we well, I will oh. say this. Mm-hmm. What I've seen in the divorce space, one parent mm-hmm. will take the kid to the doctor and say, Oh my God, Johnny's been complaining about dad beating them, right, Johnny? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as mm-hmm. a doctor, they are required or mandated, as we say, to report that. So that kind of how it starts in the divorce space, right? Because Johnny said it right. to the doctor. I didn't say it. Johnny said it. Right, right. So what happens? The doctor, police officer, teacher makes the recommendation. So what are the next steps? Yes. So I want to say something yeah. really quick, though, about mandated yeah. reporters. Mandated reporters are required to report if they have, if they believe mm. that the child is actually suffering, mm-hmm. right? Or that they've been abused mm-hmm. or neglected. So if a child is with the pediatrician mm-hmm. and you see this child, this child is consistently coming in for their pediatrician mm-hmm. appointments, their well visits or whatever, and you do not have suspicion right. that the child is actually being abused, you do not have to report. It starts with a right. referral, mm-hmm. Okay a call to the CPS hotline oftentimes. And the other piece is that those calls are anonymous, right? For now, because there is is legislation that they shouldn't be. But But for for now, now, right, 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 for now. So someone calls in, okay? Another parent knows, like, I can call, I can say whatever I want and have no consequences from it other than maybe use this as a tool, right, to get what I want if the family law Mm -hmm. court. So- so yeah, so usually there's there's a call to the hotline and then the hotline the CPS decides whether or not they're going to actually do an investigation. Mm-hmm. They can screen in the call or they can screen well, it who out. Who decides who it makes is, the call if it's going to be investigated further or not? The social workers. Hmm. Okay. Mhm. Mhm. So the social worker makes a decision, mm-hmm. okay? And then after the social worker, if they screen mm-hmm. it in, okay? Then the next thing is that they're going to do is open up an investigation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Investigations in LA County usually take about 30 days. And during the investigation, they're going to want to meet with the child, ask the child questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people don't understand, like, you know, they think, Oh, investigation is not that serious. It's not harmful to children, but it is right. Traumatic. It, is, it is harmful. Mm-hmm. It's traumatic. Exactly. And, Oftentimes, children are pulled out of school, mm-hmm. right? It's embarrassing for them if they're, you know, school age. They might have to, you know, disrobe to see if, mm-hmm. you know, there's allegations of abuse, if they have any marks or anything indicative right. of that. They might be asked questions of their parents that they had no, like, right. you know, even thought right. about, right? right? And then it's just scary, right? And so, you know, I think it's important to note, too, that again, talking about the way in which this system impacts our community Mm -hmm. is that in LA County, nearly six out of 10 black children 
are going to be investigated. Six out of ten? By, mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Are going to experience a CPS investigation. So obviously, Demetria, we know that that it don't. That's not a. No. That's not a an, a, a, a class right. thing, right? That's just like a color right. thing, mm-hmm. right? I represented a girlfriend of mine who's a judge, right. mm-hmm. okay, and her son had they had she had experienced this investigation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So that's that's usually the step, and then after the investigation, then if they make a decision on whether or not. It's, you know, they're going to find the allegation to be conclusive, conclusive, whether they're going to find it to be inconclusive, mm-hmm. right, or unfounded. Mm-hmm. And if they find the allegation to be conclusive, depending what the allegation is, then you'll be reported to the DOJ to be placed on the child abuse registry. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just off the investigation. And again, these are just people making a subjective opinion mm-hmm. about whether or not these allegations are true right. or not. And then from there, if, you know, they find the allegation to be founded, then the next thing is that they will file a petition. Okay. And when they file a petition, they could file it either with your child being detained or they could file what we call a non-detained petition where they're saying we want the court to, you know, monitor what's going on with this family, but we don't want the children to be removed. Right. A social worker can choose to seek a warrant. Mm -hmm. Right. If they feel like their investigation is leading them, you know, to the fact that, you know, that it's something serious that we need to to remove the children before. And so for detention, who decides where the children go? And Kim, if we're talking about trauma, just think if Uh a police officer you don't know, social worker you Mm -hmm. don't know, is coming Mm -hmm. to pick you up from your home Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. taking you, Mm -hmm. where do children typically go when they're detained? So usually when they're detained, they're going to be taken to like a DCFS office, right? We have a shortage of homes. Mm -hmm. The children oftentimes are not sent straight to like a home environment, Mm -hmm. right? When they're initially detained, they're supposed to within 48 hours Mm -hmm. contact family, right? To get children with Mm -hmm. family at the Mm -hmm. very least. But that doesn't happen often. And we're, I think, just now beginning to have social workers change this narrative that they used to have, which was like the apple doesn't fall far from mm-hmm. the tree. There was like a version, I guess, of placing with family mm-hmm. members. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah. So that's where they're, where, where they're placed until. So you know. I, I want, especially people in my family law space mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. think about mm-hmm. this. Right. So mm-hmm. trauma number one is the interview with the stranger. Trauma mm-hmm. number two is potentially removal from the family home Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. three, the unknown of where you're going for God knows how long. Yeah. And then what? And with strangers. strangers. Right. Oftentimes. All of this trauma is going on for, Mm -hmm. for the child. Right. And if you're a parent who's adding extras, Mm -hmm. right. When, when social workers show up to remove children, I've seen social workers come with law enforcement and on guns drawn, guns drawn, Demetria, to take these children. Wow. That's trauma. Beyond trauma. That's that's that's, a lot. Right. 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 And also the children often feel responsible. They feel like Mm -hmm. they did something wrong. They told the social worker, right? They said something that made them mm -hmm, remove them. 
So now they're internalizing, you know, this disruption, this uprooting that's happening. Right. It it impacts the development of the brain. It causes permanent brain damage to be removed and separated from your parents. Right. For God knows okay? how long. Right. Yeah. And it could be a it could be a temporary period or a long right. period, right? So it should only happen when it needs when to happen. Necessary. Right. Yes. Not in a divorce. Right? When not necessary. in a divorce. Right? Unless it really is, Warranted. you know, right. something happening. But like, you know what I mean? Like So so the investigation <laughs> if it's and then what I've mm-hmm. found too, if the yeah. allegation is inconclusive, then people use mm-hmm. that in family court. Like they didn't say oh. it wasn't true. They just said they couldn't prove it. So that's a whole wow. other issue. But even wow. the investigation for 30 days, we can't do anything in family court. But if their kids are detained and there's actual an actual trial, how long is that process mm-hmm. from investigation through trial? How long is it supposed to be? <laughs> no. <Or> how long <laughs> is it? I mean, it typically is going to be... You know, at least 60 days, 45 to 60 days. It's, you know, supposed to be 30. But yeah, those, <laughs> we have the largest foster system in the country. Right. So if this detention's happening in LA. Chances are that trial is not going to get off, you know, in the, in the statutory time period. Now, do the children get to attend their same school or does it just depend on? They're supposed to be able to. Okay. The social worker is supposed to try to keep the child's experience to be as normal as Mm -hmm. possible. That's what they're supposed Mm -hmm. to do. That's oftentimes not what happens. Right. Right. Children are moved within, you know, a year. Right. Multiple different schools, multiple different homes. Right. They're often uprooted from anything that is what is like their natural community, right? right? So in this space, though, parents, if if the matter does go to a trial, parents Mm -hmm. typically are assigned attorneys. Is that correct? Along with Mm -hmm. the children. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what's that process like? Can I pick an attorney or is an attorney selected for me? You can pick an attorney if you hire counsel, Right. Mm -hmm. right? But most parents are represented by what I would call like the public defender of, you know, the CPS system, right? right? So in LA County, not only do we have like a whole agency dedicated to parents' representation and whole Mm -hmm. agency dedicated to children's representation, we also have a courtroom in Monterey Mm -hmm. Park that is literally 25 courtrooms dedicated specifically the juvenile dependency right. cases. Right. So if you're if you're pulling in private counsel into this good old boy girls network, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. are some of the challenges you've seen and what can people expect mm-hmm. if they hire private counsel? So there's I think pros and cons, mm-hmm. right? To private versus having appointed right. counsel. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will say on just balance, private or with appointed counsel, this system, right, which you'll hear in court is like, Your Honor, this is supposed to be collaborative. This is supposed to be non-adversarial, mm-hmm. right? And so 
I always say that there's children court rules, <laughs> right? It might not be the law, but it is the law or the rules that are followed in those courtrooms. Mm-hmm. What is that? Can you share a couple of those with us? What are the rules? Yeah. So, for example, in um, parents, when children are separated from their parents, the law says that the court should order visitation to be as liberal as the court mm can Mm -hmm. order it, right? But the rules, the children's court rules, are depending on whatever the judge says. So the judge will say, my standard order is for children to have visits with their parents two times per week for one Mm -hmm. hour. Or I know, Mm -hmm. right? Listen, the most liberal I've seen is three hours per week for three hours. Even in the most, even in not, you know, not as serious cases. Yes, Demetria, because you want to know whose interests are being protected? The social workers, Mm. right? The social worker who's going to have to monitor Mm. those visits. And I would like to say something, too. Whatever Uh decisions come out of DCFS, if there are Mm -hmm. findings made, orders made, those Mm -hmm. are final orders for family court. I only came to Mm -hmm. know. By being in community with folks who have, you know, lived experience with the system, that it is a nightmare to get those orders changed in family law court. So can we please highlight that? Because lawyers need to know this. Lawyers are still doing it. I'm in court and I have to explain to other lawyers like, y'all, it is a the family law order. It is a final order in family court, which is very interesting to me as we discuss, right? So mm-hmm. there's there's mm-hmm. no real system for getting the cases into DCFS when there's an open divorce case, but the finality mm-hmm. of the orders that come out of DCFS into family court. So mm-hmm. the disconnect in the beginning has dire mm-hmm. consequences at the end, which is That's good very, very interesting. Know. And so I do want you to speak to divorced parents, right? We talked about mm-hmm. the trauma and I, I really mm-hmm. hope you go back and listen to that. What would you say mm-hmm. to a parent in a divorce proceeding that is thinking about using this system as a tool in the divorce case? It is one of the most evil and traumatic things that you can do to your child. Ouch. I felt if that, you, Keisha. I you, felt it. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Right? To have your child to have to undergo any parts of the system, even an investigation, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? If you say that you love your child, that you care about your child, this is not the system that you use to weapon or you, you use as a weapon against the other parent. I felt that. I really did. And what do you say to the parent that's having to defend themselves that doesn't know what to do, you know, when they come knocking at the door? I am not licensed in that field. So I do like Mm -hmm. my clients to talk to someone that is because I don't know what they can refuse to say or what they should say. So what advice would you give to someone who wasn't expecting it? Someone shows at their door. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. do you say to them? So I'm going to just say this. There's not a lot of us that are doing mm-hmm. uh, representation during the investigative period of a case. I do because 
you you don't know. They ask you questions that you think are just innocuous questions and you answer them. And now, you know, that's the basis of the fuel that they need to file the petition against mm-hmm. you, right? So the first thing I'll say is you do not have to speak to a social worker just because they come showing up at your door, okay? That being said, again, the children's court rules. Right. Is if you don't speak to the social worker, the judge will deem you to be uncooperative and will likely detain your child from you if a petition is filed. So I always advise people to call me, call or an attorney that does investigative, you know, services, mm-hmm. period. Okay. Second thing is, you know, when it comes to your children, you do not have to allow a social worker to come into your home. Mm-hmm. You do I not didn't know that. Mm-hmm. have to allow a social worker to come into your home. The fourth amendment is the fourth amendment is the fourth amendment. Well, tell them what it is for people that don't know. What's the fourth amendment? Okay. So the first amendment, (laughs) you can, (laughs) the government cannot come into your home unless there is a warrant or there's consent or there's exigent circumstances. Okay. If they have an exigent circumstances is meaning at this moment in time, this child is going to be physically, right, in mm-hmm. danger. Physically, okay? Not emotionally. Physically in danger if we do not snatch this little boy or this little girl out of right. this home, okay? And and listen, these are sometimes the bread and butter of civil rights litigation mm-hmm. is that a social worker barged into someone's home without a warrant, mm-hmm. okay? The Castle Doctrine still applies, <laughs> In CPS cases, they will tell you otherwise. So they have to have what they'll say for a parent who does know their rights and pushes back and says, no, you you don't have a warrant to come into my home, so I'm not going to allow you. Then they follow up with, do you want to test it? Mm. Do you want to test it? Let them test Mm. it. And then if they get the warrant, then let them into your home. But it, but okay. is that really in someone's best interest if they feel like you know I don't have anything to hide? I'll whatever. What are why do you recommend that there's pushback if that if that is your recommendation? Right. So I'll just say this: I know that there's a bigger there's a bigger cause, and that there's a, there's an individual mm-hmm. cause, and I'm be hundred percent. The bigger cause is if we don't push back then they're going to continue to do this and get away with doing it because we're just letting them into our homes, okay? Our community will continue to be under the surveillance and under the terror of DCFS as long as we continue to allow them to do so, Mm -hmm. okay? But I will say this, because it happens, right? Sometimes people will say, you know, is this making it worse Mm -hmm. for me to push back, for me to exercise my rights? I say, you know, in the similar context of like the -hmm. police, right? I look at CPS social workers as the family police, right? right? And yes, it, it could be that it goes well and there's nothing that, you know, it's not right. a problem. Or it could be that it is right. a problem, right? Because you've allowed them into your home and you've answered questions that you shouldn't right. answer, right? Right. So out of importance, I would say the more important thing is not to answer questions with CPS without a lawyer, mm-hmm. As opposed to if you feel like your house is like, like, but you got to be, it got to be clean, clean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you're going to do that, take pictures mm-hmm. of your house before and after 
So before the social worker comes in, say, I'm going to record my house first. Do, do a video sweep of your own home. This is the condition of my house. This is the social worker coming into my home. They can do their search and sweep because if a social worker wants to put, which they do, sometimes they'll say, oh, this was messy or mm-hmm. whatever. And they'll Or they'll over-exaggerate something because they want to get their petition right. to stick. Then you're going to have a problem. That's good advice to film or to take pictures. So if someone needs mm-hmm. your services, is that something they do mm-hmm. when they have the little card? That's what I always hear about. That yes. they get the little card at their, yes. at their house. Is that the, the, sp- yes. the place you, you would want a potential client to call? Okay. Yes. At that point in time. I can't tell you the number of cases I have gotten no petition filed in just the last couple mm-hmm. of months. Just because somebody, people are starting to right. call. And then I will represent. I will be present. We can do a Zoom with the social worker, whatever. Right? right. right? Language I want people to say, though, sure. if I can. Never say to the social worker, no, I will not speak Mm. to you. Specifically say, I'm happy to speak with you as long as my lawyer is present. Okay. Okay? Because then they can't say you weren't cooperative or whatever. You're just like, no, I just want my lawyer to be present when I'm speaking Mm -hmm. to you. Okay? You can call and I'll give you my my number. It's 949-209-5033. And if parents call me before they call the social worker back, I actually give a discount <laughs> on my retainer fee yeah. because it makes my life so much right. easier. If they don't got nothing, they don't got right. nothing. But now you opened your mouth and now I got right. like, right. you know, so I give a discount if you do not speak to the social worker before you at least have a consultation right. with right. me. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. goes across the board, right? Because I tell people I am very experienced in family law, but not with DCFS, our criminal law, our civil law. And I think we have to really get into the habit of speaking to people that are actually experienced in those fields. And because DCFS has such a big impact on divorce, I think it's extremely important to talk to someone such as yourself So it's easier for you. It's easier for me. Um, But before we talk about your march, because I want to hear about Mm -hmm. it, I just Mm -hmm. want Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. reiterate to parties in a divorce setting. This is not DCFS is not the space to fight out your differences. For me, the trauma alone on your children, you, you can't put a price tag on it and it's just not worth it. And as my previous episode showed you all, our children are always watching and they eventually do know who's the most problematic parent, who's putting them in harm's way, who's causing unnecessary drama. And ultimately, we don't want that for our kids. I know I don't. Keisha, thank you for sharing your insight because there were things I didn't even know. But I think it's important that we continue to have this conversation because it's one of those, you know, hidden secrets that we don't talk about, Mm -hmm. but it is impacting Mm -hmm. our families. And like you said, it's not just the people in the quote unquote hood. It's everywhere. You represent Mm -hmm. a judge. Mm -hmm. I know personal friends Mm -hmm. that experience this. So we have to keep talking Mm -hmm. about it. So thank you. So let's end on a happy note. Okay. So Black Mother's March is happening May 14th, Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we just started it last year. It's organized by Amanda with Operation Stop CPS and Yejide with Anwo. And really the vision behind doing the march was one to just raise awareness about the system. You just talked about it, mm-hmm. Demetria, 
we wanted to raise awareness about what's happening and particularly what's happening with Black families and the vilification of Black motherhood, which is what we believe the system Mm -hmm. targets, right? It's a weekend of activities, I should say. So Saturday, we start off with like yoga and just, you know, fully cleansing, getting the body moving and all of that. And then this year, one of the the co-founders of the Black Mothers March, Amanda, envisioned and curated a art exhibit or installation. Where is this event? So the the yoga and the art installation is going to be at the United Methodist Building. It will run from 1 until 6 p.m. on Saturday, May 13th. And then the march will take place. We meet at, at the, in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. The Capitol line won't be to miss mm-hmm. us. Before we end, please tell people mm-hmm. you gave your phone number. So thank you for that. Yeah. But are you on social media? How else can people find you? I am on social media. I'm very active in trying to pull back this veil of secrecy and provide more education to the public about what's actually happening in our court system. And my handle on social media is K.A.D.E.N.I.Y.I. underscore Esquire. And you can also find me on Facebook, Keisha Dorsey. And then my email address, I mean, my website is www.kadenilaw, which is k.adeniyilaw.com. Keisha, I want to thank you so much. As you see, we can kiki all day. Yes, we <laughs> can. Thank you so much for being here. On a personal note, I am so very proud of you. So oh, keep you. doing what you're doing. And for the rest of you, thank you so much for listening to Legally Uncensored. I am your host, Demetria Graves. And thank you so much for listening. Legally Uncensored is produced by Crystal Devone of C. Devone Sight and Sound and edited by Calvin Bailiff. <laughs>